Good morning to you, Tucson and all of Southern Arizona. Welcome live out of the Common Workspace Studios. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yentz on AM 1030 KVOI, the voice of the in-depth news, conversation, and talk about the people, ideas, and issues shaping Tucson's future. I'm your host, Zach Yenser, and welcome aboard. And to you, Matt, making the magic happen on the other side of the glass, as always. And to our listeners, uh, happy, at least for us, Monday on a Tuesday. It's our first day back after a long weekend. I feel rested. I feel ready. Let's do this. Morning, Zach. It's good to be back. Does it feel like a Monday on a Tuesday? Feels like a... Yeah. Yeah, kind of, I guess. We're getting back into the swing of things, though. It's a good thing. We are. You've been in the seat a little bit longer, but I'm, I'm today I'm ready to go and uh, looking forward to what we have ahead of us today. I'll back into it, and we'll get right to it. Greg Ayers will be with me. He heads up Gap Ministries in Tucson and Southern Arizona. We'll talk foster care and the opening of the uh, 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 Campus of Hope, uh, a really exciting endeavor that is uh, happening in Tucson to address uh, what is grown to be a foster care crisis, even more than it already was post-COVID. But I want to jump right into our conversation that's going to kick off today, and that is with Matt Salmon. He's a Republican running in the primary uh, for governor of this beautiful state. Uh, Matt Salmon, good morning to you, and welcome aboard. Good morning, Zach. It's great to be on your show. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for the time, and uh, and I'm sure you'll join me in recognizing what was a pretty incredible day on Sunday where for the first time in 30 years, uh, Passover, Easter, and Ramadan converged on the, on the same day. And so we, we want to wish everybody who uh, was celebrating after we got off the air last Friday and the reason why we had a day off around here yesterday. I want to wish everybody and hope everybody had a great celebration and a, a good time with family and friends and celebrating uh, the season. So uh, Matt, uh, I'm sure we'll join in that together. It was beautiful. Um, my wife and I actually teach a Sunday school class uh, every second Sunday, and uh, we taught uh, about the, the resurrection and Easter. And you know, it was a really special day. And then my my grandkids and kids came over for dinner, and uh, it was really, really a special day. I, I loved it. Absolutely, it was one of my I think one of the best uh, Easter celebrations uh, I've I've had in a really long time. So so it was a good weekend. Matt, there's a lot to talk about. And I want to start on the border. Uh, Reuters, uh, Reuters, Reuters, Reuters re- <laughs> reported yesterday yeah, that uh, U.S. border authorities arrested 210,000 migrants uh, attempting to cross the border with Mexico in March. It's the highest monthly total in two decades. March's total was a 24% increase from March of 2021, just a year ago. I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on Title 42, because I think the tricky part is that it allows for quicker processing and expelling uh, of migrants across the border than usual protocols, and that's led to sometimes daily repeat border crossings, which I think is ticking that number um, um, up as well. Uh, it, it's complicated policy. Um, what would your position on Title 42 as governor of this state be if you were facing the end of that in uh, pretty much less than a month from now? Well, let me say, Zach, this is this is the issue that's on everybody's mind. It's uh, not just Title 42, but the, the sieve that is the border and the illegal fentanyl that's coming across, the human trafficking, the sex trafficking, the, the guns, uh, and, and everybody knowing that this is uh, 100% perpetuated by the cartels uh, in Mexico. Um, Title 42 
has been a mechanism for uh, expelling over 50% of the people that have tried to come across the border. And so what we're going to see, uh, if Title uh, 42 is allowed to expire by the Biden administration, is close to double the numbers of people coming into our country. Uh, and, and right now it's, it's kind of a joke because uh, the people that are coming in and throwing up their hands for asylum uh, are given a date way off into the future to come back and meet with a judge uh, to determine whether or not they're going to get asylum. But almost nobody comes back for those hearings. And so people are just, you know, assimilating into uh, the United States. And when I was in Yuma uh, the last time, they, the C- CBP folks told me that we're looking at over uh, 113 different countries that uh, have have uh, sent people across a, that border in Yuma. So it's not, you know, it's not just people from South and Central America and Mexico. Uh, it's all over the world. And we don't know, uh, you know, whether the people coming in uh, have evil on their minds, uh, you know, whether they're terrorists. And it is a true national security issue. And so I believe that the governor of Arizona needs to stand up in the the, the, the gap that exists right now where the federal government is definitely not doing its job. Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution guarantees that the federal government shall do two things. One, uh, give every state a Republican form of government. And the second thing, it guarantees that it shall protect the states from invasion. Now, our Attorney General has, uh, has said when asked an opinion that what the cartels are doing at the border does constitute an invasion in his mind. And so that triggers a whole lot of things. Uh, you know, we have a Tenth Amendment that, that guarantees the state's rights, and we have a responsibility to stand up and protect the safety uh, of our own people here in the state. And so I believe the governor ha- has to do a lot more to basically put a, a larger, far larger presence of our folks on the border to make sure that those that are coming across are going to be uh, arrested. Uh, and I say that because Texas has done this. I think we can do the same thing. Beef up our uh, our criminal trespass laws and make sure that those that are coming across illegally are uh, are arrested. And I've said that we should incarcerate them as well. Give them their choice. Go back home across the border uh, or be incarcerated. And if we have a jail space issue, which I believe we do, then the state can step forward and create a tent city type uh uh, you know, type facility just like Joe Arpaio did for many, many years uh, here in Maricopa County for the lower risk offenders. Uh, and and I, I believe it's got to be all hands on deck. We've got to do everything within our power to try to turn back that tide since the federal government is not doing its job. Uh, we're with Matt Salmon, a candidate for governor as a Republican, former congressman for the state as well. I want to I want to come back to the tent city topic uh, Matt, which has really gotten a lot of press lately. But a real quick follow-up question. Senator Mark Kelly is one of a number of border uh, Democrats who has voiced concern about the end of right. Title 42. His position is it should end, but the Biden administration is wrong to set an end date without a comprehensive plan in place to address asylum seekers mm-hmm. and provide resources to border communities. He's put forward legislation to extend the end date, not in May, but 60 days from the end of May. Uh, is, is he right? Uh, would a Governor uh, Salmon uh, uh, advocate for an indefinite 
continuation of Title 42, or do you think it should end, but we need to be more clear on what is needed resource-wise if we are to end it? I think it's a lot bigger than that, Zach. I think that, the, as I've met with the Customs and Border Patrol uh, folks, who, by the way, are very dedicated to their jobs, and the morale is at an all-time low, they really, really want to do their jobs. And when I asked them, what could a Governor Salmon do that could best help you? And they said, encourage the federal government to change its policies because our hands are tied and we're not allowed to do our jobs. We feel like we're just a bunch of babysitters because on one side, you know, the cartels are bringing people over in mass, uh, throwing up their hands, asking for asylum. And then a few miles down the border, they're sending a, across drug mules carrying packs of fentanyl and, uh, you know, and, and, and other drugs as well that's going to poison our society. And we're basically right in the middle and being told that all we can do is process these folks and, uh, and not even slap their hands and basically let them go. And so the policies have to change at the federal level. But as a governor, I can't just assume that the federal government is going to do its job. I have to do, as governor, what the federal government is not doing, and that is protect the citizens of Arizona. So an end to Title 42 or only after? I, 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 no, I, I don't. I, I believe that right now that it would be bad policy to end Title 42 simply because it's going to double the volume of people coming across. Look, I know it's a technicality, but the answer is we sh- can and should do everything within our grasp to be able to minimize those numbers of people coming across the border illegally. Now, the better, the better play would be uh, to go back to what was going on you know, during the Trump administration, you know, rigorously enforcing the, you know, remain in Mexico policy uh, until you wait for your court date and not just allowing people to come over and releasing them, you know, into the, you know, into the general population, never to basically face any kind of justice. We're with Matt Salmon, candidate for governor uh, as a Republican. Uh, I, I want to finish up on the border topic, Matt, and then would love to talk about some other themes in the next segment, including uh, water security, something that you've written and spoken quite a bit about. Uh, but real quick before we go to that break, you mentioned the tent city proposal. It's received quite a bit of press a few days ago. You penned uh, that op-ed with former Sheriff uh, Joe Arpaio advocating for restarting uh, tent city. I really give my opinion on this show. I, to me, this I think it's an unfortunate return uh, to some dark days uh, in the borderlands. But it doesn't matter what I think. I wanted to ask you, one of your opponents said, um, why should Arizona taxpayers foot the cost for housing those coming across the border? My plan is better. Um, and I wanted to ask you that because it costs millions and millions of dollars. I think Penzone when he canceled ten, that cancel when he stopped Ten City, it was a four point five million dollars he estimated saving by not doing it. Uh, so, so respond to the Carrie Lake uh, item there, uh, where she said, under your plan, Arizona taxpayers would foot that cost. Why would we do that when we can advocate for tougher border policies in the first place? Well, first and foremost, I, I think she's misunderstanding what I said because what I what I said was that uh, we would. Uh, escort them back across the border. If they keep coming across, then we arrest them and uh, incarcerate them. Uh, if the answer, if her answer uh, or anybody's answer is simply let them go in the public like they've been doing, uh, then I think that's a big mistake. Uh, I, the, look, the cartels are a money-making organization. That's what they're all about. They're charging five to $7,000 a person to smuggle them across the borders. If they find that they're running into a glitch, 
and people start complaining, hey, wait a minute, I paid you $5,000 or $7,000, and I go across the border, and uh, Salmon's folks arrested me and put me in this tent city and then sent me back across the border again. They're going to realize that it's more profitable for them to go to another location like Texas or, excuse me, like uh, California or New Mexico. And you know what? I can't solve the border problem for these other states, but I can for our state. And that's what my, my biggest concern is. And so I think that we have to have all options on the table. Matt Salmon, I think one of the things that you hinted at that is a shift is that, you know, a number of years ago, it was mostly, I think, uh, as I understand, single young men who were crossing uh, the border. And now we're talking about young families, young children. Um, and, and so the whole dynamic has shifted, not just in the number, but who and where from. And uh, at the end of the day, I think I think the federal government should get more serious about increasing security and expanding legal channels. And I'm not sure either um, is happening well. Matt, we have one more segment together. We're going to go to our first break. When we come back, it'll be a bit shorter. Um, but I wanted to ask you about uh, Arizona's water supply and what you would do to make sure it stays secure uh, for what con- looks like is going to continue to be growth uh, in the state of Arizona. We'll be right back here. Tipping Point with Zach Yenser is just beginning here on 1030 The Voice. We'll be back in just a minute. News at the top and bottom of every hour. 1030 The Voice. Trusted local news and talk. Tucson homeowners, do you have equity in your home and would like to sell but are afraid that you won't be able to find a new place in this market? Well, you're not alone. That's why CNC Partners has put together an innovative way to make your next home dream come true. They work with local investors who can purchase your home for cash, pay above market value, waive the appraisal, and provide you with the option to lease your home back to you for 12 months until you can find a new home in the Tucson market. If you'd like to see what that cash offer might look like with no obligation, go to Tucson Cash offer.com why i love where i live it's a brand and movement that began here in tucson to spark gratitude and celebrate the good things about where we live located in the open air mercado san agustin annex just west of downtown it's a great place to shop or spend time with friends as you enjoy food drink and other shopping options close by find gifts toys books and clothes that will help you celebrate where you live visit them at the annex off the i-10 at cushing and avenida del convento Tucson, your Tucson Museum of Art is pleased to present the Patrick Martinez Look What You Created exhibition and his first solo museum exhibition in the American Southwest. Los Angeles-based artist Patrick Martinez explores sites of personal, civic, and cultural law sustained over recent years in America. Opening just this month through April 24th, you can go see it in the Castor Family Wing of Latin American Art. TucsonMuseumOfArt.org to get your tickets now. Zach Yenser here, and I'm so excited to be a part of the launch of the Little Love Burger as they're growing in Tucson. Located just a few hours down from the Rialto Theater, Little Love Burger serves up the juiciest scratch-made hamburgers, loaded hot dogs, have ice cream milkshakes, lovable local brews, and the most addictive breakfast sandwiches. Little Love Burger is open Sunday through Thursday, 11 to 9, and Friday and Saturday, 11 to 10. You can follow their beat on Instagram and Facebook at Little Love Burger Tucson. Don't you want some burger to love? 
Zach Yenser here, host of Tipping Point, and I want to tell you that Decibel Coffee Works is the coffee we drink at home and while we're out and about. Run by a great local team of people who care about the Tucson community, you'll find a variety of great coffee drinks, beans, pastries, and more. There's also a rumor ice cream is on its way in 2022. To see their full menu and varieties of roasted beans from around the world, visit DecibelCoffeeWorks.com and visit them at 267 South Avenida del Convento. Mention you heard about them on Tipping Point with Zach Yenser for 10% off your next order on anything you buy. In 1994, the University of Arizona took the bold step of acquiring an industrial park in southeastern Pima County and transforming it into a university research park. With over 25 years of success, Tech Parks Arizona continues to advance innovation. Whether it's the nearly 60 startups at the University of Arizona Center for Innovation or the new Tech Park at the Bridges currently under construction, they are integral in shaping the future of Southern Arizona. Tech Parks Arizona, moving innovation at the speed of business. When you manage your money with a credit union, you're taking true ownership of your finances and how your money impacts the community. Stop letting banking just happen to you. Bring your money home to Vantage West. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, this is Tom Sullivan. Join me weeknights from 7 to 10 for the Tom Sullivan Show on 1030 KVOI, The Voice. And we're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona here live on Tipping Point. I'm your host, Zach Yenser. You're listening to 1030 The Voice. We're with Republican candidate for governor, Matt Salmon, former congressman, former gubernatorial candidate, running in a four-way Republican primary right now. Uh, Steve Gaynor, uh, Carrie Lake, Karen Taylor Robeson, Matt Salmon are the four Republicans. Uh, Primary is in August, if I have all my facts straight. Uh, and after that, it'll be a race to the general election. Uh, Matt Salmon, uh, much has been made of Arizona's water supply or potential lack thereof. Give us your analysis of Arizona's water and as governor, what you would do to make it more secure if it needs to be. Well, the situation is very, very serious. Uh, in fact, it's one of those things that keeps leaders uh, up awake at night because we're in a 20-year-plus drought and Lake Mead and Lake Powell are at mm-hmm. all-time lows, and uh, our uh, allotment of the Colorado River water uh, is likely to be cut significantly, and so which is a big supplier of uh, water throughout Arizona. So we have a big responsibility uh, to address the issue, and, and we, we've got to find more water sources, for one thing. Uh, we've got to find more water sources. We've got to conserve uh, the water that we have. And uh, we've got to do a better job uh, politically uh, negotiating, I think, with, uh, you know, the federal government in the, in the uh, recent uh, bill that was passed dealing with the infrastructure. There's a bunch of money uh, set aside. Now, I, I wouldn't have voted for that infrastructure bill. I think that it was way too pricey. But that's beside the point now. It's already been appropriated, and that money is uh, going forward. So better us receive it than uh, uh, California or New Mexico. We're going to need all the help that we can, and I believe that you know, having uh, a former congressman such as myself that understands how to run those traps is a big asset in uh, finding uh, federal help uh, for uh, getting new water sources uh, and water opportunities here in Arizona. But one of the things that was talked about uh, when the current governor uh, spoke at the State of the State address was dedicating a billion dollars over four years to identify new water sources and new water infrastructure. And I think that that is a, a, a bare minimum. 
uh, it's got to got to be, and they're talking about creating a new water authority in Arizona, which is not resolved yet. But everybody at the state level is really working to try to resolve this, talking about uh, uh, pars- po- possibly funding a desalination plant on the Sea of Cortez and then trading out the water that comes from that plant to Mexico uh, for their share, uh, at least 200,000 acre feet of their share of the Colorado River water, which would come to us, which would probably be a lot more cost-effective than trying to pipe that water back to Arizona. Not probably, it definitely would be a lot more cost-effective. So that's a very innovative idea. One of the other really innovative ideas is water retreatment uh, at the municipal level. Uh, and, and that's incredibly important. It's probably one of the least cost, uh, costly ways of uh, identifying new water sources. But then there are aquifers in Arizona, like the Harquahala Aquifer, which is a very, very large aquifer uh, that is virtually untapped it's it's one that has uh, a large water source but we have to find ways to make bridge water and and get that out to the communities and 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 uh water users that need it it's it's more briny uh the water so it's going to have to be treated as well we're going to have to come up with a lot more innovative ways of doing things um also israel has come up with new uh technologies for drip systems which are far more uh, water efficient uh, than the past drip systems have been. And, and so all of these things are things that we're going to have to do in addition to identifying some conservation measures and, and prioritization uh, you know, throughout the state. Um, agriculture is incredibly important to our state, not just for the fact that it's such a, an incredible boon uh, to our economy into the billions of dollars, but also um, because of it meeting a need, a critical need for, you know, for the, the nation's food supply. Um, you know, Yuma alone provides a lot of food. So, and, 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 and Pinal County, I mean, we have a lot of really, really important agriculture going on. So there's a lot of things on the table, Zach, but I think this is one of the things that I try to emphasize to people when they think about voting for the most important job in the state, the governor of Arizona. It's important to put somebody in there that actually understands these issues and has worked with them because they're very, very serious. Now, other jobs, you know, you elect a legislator, you elect uh, somebody to Congress, you're one of many, many, many people. When you're governor, you're, you're, you're the one chief executive for the state. And I think it's incredibly important that we look at that like, like we're hiring somebody to run a big, big, important organization. And we look at job references. We look at past experience. All of those things are incredibly important, uh, especially for the job of governor. And, you know, Zach, when it comes to that, I'm the only candidate that's got the, the experience of 30 years in the private sector, 10 years as a congressman, four years as a state senator, and I can hit the ground running and do this. Uh, I'm ready to do this. Matt Salmon, candidate for governor as a Republican, will have to uh, put a pin in it there, but I don't think this is the last time we'll talk before the primary. Matt Salmon, thanks for your time today. Uh, We'll talk soon, and uh, stay safe out there on the trail. All right. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Matt Salmon, uh, for governor of Arizona. We'll be right back with Greg Ayers, Gap Ministries, the foster care crisis. Don't go anywhere. Tucson, your Tucson Museum of Art is pleased to present the Patrick Martinez Look What You Created exhibition and his first solo museum exhibition in the American Southwest 
Los Angeles-based artist Patrick Martinez explores sites of personal, civic, and cultural loss sustained over recent years in America. Opening just this month through April 24th, you can go see it in the Casser Family Wien of Latin American Art. TucsonMuseumOfArt.org to get your tickets now. Why I love where I live. It's a brand and movement that began here in Tucson to spark gratitude and celebrate the good things about where we live. Located in the open air Mercado San Agustin Annex, just west of downtown, it's a great place to shop or spend time with friends as you enjoy food, drink, and other shopping options close by. Find gifts, toys, books, and clothes that will help you celebrate where you live. Visit them at the Annex off the I-10 at Cushing and Avenida del Convento. When you manage your money with a credit union, you're taking true ownership of your finances and how your money impacts the community. Stop letting banking just happen to you. Bring your money home to Vantage West. Federally insured by NCUA. Helping you make better money decisions is what The Ramsey Show is all about. Today at 1 p.m. on 1030 The Voice. And we're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona. Good morning, live out of the Common Workspace Studios. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenser. If you're just joining us here on AM 1030 KVY, the voice of the in-depth news, conversation and talk about the people, ideas, and issues shaping Tucson's future. Uh, if you just joined us, we spent the first half of the hour with Matt Salmon. He's a Republican running for governor of the state of Arizona, so we talked about some of the issues with him. We're turning uh, a page to a completely different topic, but related to issues happening in the state. Uh, I'm really excited to be in studio now this morning with Greg Ayers, the president and founder of GAT Ministries, to talk about a wide variety of issues. And uh, before we get going and before we welcome Greg in, we want to say thank you, as always, uh, to Vantage West Credit Union, uh, who, with their support, we get to talk about some really incredible organizations that we can be essential supporters of, organizations that have thrived throughout COVID, and more importantly, are looking towards an innovative future, solving issues, meeting needs here in Tucson and Southern Arizona. Without further ado, Greg Ayers, good morning to you. Thanks for being hey, here. Good morning. Thanks for inviting me. This is an honor. It's good to see you in person again. It had been a while from COVID, but uh, we were there for the ribbon cutting of Campus of Hope, the Campus of Hope, which we'll get into in detail. It's great to see you there, and it's yeah. great to see you again. Well, appreciate it. Uh, thanks for all the support over all the years. Uh, our relationship goes back way, uh, it does. Uh, quite a few years and doing some city things. Uh, yeah. Uh, remember meeting in the other common place. I forget what the name of that is. Uh, Connect. Sp- Connect, yeah. Connect. And having meetings there almost yep. on a weekly basis, just talking yep. about uh, our city and yep. how can we respond to those needs of the city. And those were good times. Absolutely. Uh, great segue to my first question, since we have a couple segments with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about GAT Ministries. The, the story, I think, is really cool because it started with uh, really two people two to three people who had a heart to meet a need and has grown overwhelmingly since then. So give us the real quick origin story of GAT Ministries and and how it's taken you over the last number of years to where you are today. 
So Gap's about 22 years old. We came to Tucson 23 years ago mm. just with a heart to meet the needs of our community in the way that we could do it. Uh, we knew the needs were gr- much greater than what Pam and I carried in our hearts, but uh, we, d- we knew that we had a part to play mm. in meeting some of those needs. And, and two of them that started right off the bat, we turned our uh, garage into a food pantry and uh, – Ended up serving hundreds of families every uh, month out of our garage, wow. uh, actually delivering food to them in their place of need, which was really neat. We weren't mm-hmm. bringing people to us. We were going to them, and it gave us a, uh, a different perspective on the needs and the issues of our city because we saw the need much mm-hmm. greater than just a food uh, uh, desert that we thought we were going to see. We, we saw how people lived and, and uh, their day-to-day life issues and it allowed us to address some of those things with other community partners. Even though uh, Pam and I maybe could not have addressed those, we found other people that could. And it was just a really cool experience to understand the nuances of our city in a much different way. You don't see that when you invite mm-hmm. people to you because they, they put on their face and they're just coming possibly for that food that you are providing. But when you go into their home or into their trailer or their apartment, you really begin to see what's going on and the, the complexity of the issues. And uh, I thought that was very beneficial as a foundation of who mm-hmm. we are as an organization. And then we took a foster child into our home. We had a spare mm-hmm. bedroom. Wow. And so today uh, our home is trans. Uh, uh, I, I guess exploded from uh, our three-car garage and that single bedroom to eight group homes and 50 foster homes and uh, a 40,000 square foot warehouse serving uh, millions of pounds of food and uh, hundreds and thousands of families uh, in a, any given month and uh, 30 to 40 agencies and churches partnering with us uh, to meet the needs across our city. Uh, particularly uh, uh, community needs and hunger uh, and uh, community needs and job training. I didn't even talk about that. And uh, the, the community needs in the foster care arena as well. Amazing. The, the, I think the big reason we wanted to have this conversation was and is the Campus of Hope. We'll get there eventually. But give us a scope. Give us a, a sense of the scope of the challenge around child poverty, foster care. What are you seeing on the front lines? There was a report, I think it was at KLD or something yesterday, that we've actually seen uh, po- the poverty rate in Pima County in the city of Tucson increase by two points during the last couple of years of COVID. And I've always been curious to get a feel for what have you seen on the ground? What is the scope of the challenge that you're trying to tackle? Yeah, obviously, COVID has just uh, increased the issue and uh, magnified it. Uh, but we can't blame COVID. Uh, I think... Uh, the issue is just a systemic one that um, Mm -hmm. we have to address what is causing the cycles. And I think uh, for Gap Ministries, we're on a journey now to say, okay, we are responding with compassion and relief, but how do we respond to break the cycles that uh, place foster children and families in a position uh, that they're in today needing um, DCS engagement or needing an agency like ours to uh, bring relief because of a food shortage or a, uh, we, we have a stuff bank, we call it, just product that's uh, uh, more than just food. Uh, and our training programs. What gets the individual to that point of need? And what are we doing as an organization? What are we doing as a city to actually address the reason people were there to begin Mm -hmm. with? And I think we've been 22 years plus in relief, 
and there's really a shift in the heart mm. of Gap Ministries wow. that's got to be greater than just the relief, though as important as that is, and I'm not trying to minimize the relief that yes. families need uh, in any way, but there is a uh, – in many of these families and individuals' uh, lives, there's a crisis point that got them to where they're at. And how can we begin to address that trauma and that crisis point to actually break the cycle so this doesn't follow them uh, in their family lines for generations? Because oftentimes we see uh, these struggles be generational. It's just not in one given generation or just one moment in time. This becomes a trajectory of a family's tree, and we want to break those cycles. And if we do that as a community, we'll actually see the community change because uh, the it may not change today, but our future is brighter when we can break the cycles that get families into uh, the situations that they're in today. I love that. that there's parts of, and I'm thinking in my head back to, a, I think it was a City of Tucson Neighborhood Stress and Poverty Report, and it breaks my heart to see areas um, in town that have struggled generationally with poverty and educational attainment and upward mobility over the last 10 years have actually gotten worse, Mm -hmm. less safe, less educated, less upwardly mobile, uh, more impoverished. And obviously that's the wrong direction to go. Absolutely. And so my heart is there with you of how do we actually solve this? Because Gap Ministries is always going to be staying in the gap. Um, And and you're really good at it and will always be there, uh, so to speak. But how how do we break the things that that are keeping this community um, down, so to speak? Well, I think uh, the the first response we have to have is it's so relational. And there's there's been such a uh, brokenness of trust within just, even in neighborhoods, we can't even trust our neighbor. We don't trust the the families that our kids go to school with. There's there's no trust. It's a broken trust uh, network. And without trust, we can't build the proper relationships because it really does take all of us working together to break the cycles that we find our city in, whatever they may be, from education to to poverty to uh, whatever uh, social issues that we may face within our community. It takes the community to solve them because it's so complex. Mm -hmm. No one individual, no one agency has the answer, but we have the answer in the totality of who we are as a community. And trying to bring those pieces together can only be brought together if there's trust. Uh, We teach uh, our staff, it's called trust-based relational intervention. It's a trauma-informed curriculum. But the key in that whole thing is you must build trust in order to deal with somebody's trauma. And I am firmly convinced that every cycle that we see, negative cycle that's in somebody's life, is a result of some form of trauma that's happened in their their lifetime. And I think we've all faced trauma. How do we handle that trauma and how we respond to that trauma makes us uh, sometimes a better person at the other end of that. Or those that are caught in the negative loops of trauma, it just is a spiral downhill. And the only way we can address that is through trust. And how do we build that trust within our community so we can actually begin to solve these complex issues? I think all this leads really well into our second part two of our conversation, the Campus of Hope. Uh, Before we go there real quick, uh, how many individuals, how many young people are in the foster care system? And last year, how many people were you able to serve in one way or another at GAP? So there's... 
probably statewide around 14,000, between 13 and 14,000 within the foster care system. And GAP Ministry just has a very small sliver of that. There's probably over 3,000 mm. in Pima County okay. uh, themselves. And we have served between 400 and 600 uh, children specifically in some type of residential uh, work. Uh, plus uh, hundreds of children through some of our uh, in-home services and our visitation services. So we're touching, uh, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of probably 800 children in any given year wow. uh, specifically and have that one-on-one contact with them, which gives us the opportunity to actually build the trust factor mm-hmm. that needs to be built in the life of an individual so there can be actually effective change. Very cool. Let's put a pin in the conversation for now. We'll go visit some of our uh, great sponsors who make this conversation happen in so many ways. When we come back, we'll continue with Greg Ayers, the president and founder of GAP Ministries here. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenser on 1030 The Voice. We're going to talk the new, the beautiful, it's amazing what, what, uh, what has been done there, Greg, the Campus of Hope, the next iteration of GAP Ministries in this community. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Politics, the issues that matter to you. 1030 The Voice, Tucson's trusted local news and talk. Tucson homeowners, do you have equity in your home and would like to sell, but are afraid that you won't be able to find a new place in this market? Well, you're not alone. That's why CNC Partners has put together an innovative way to make your next home dream come true. They work with local investors who can purchase your home for cash, pay above market value, waive the appraisal, and provide you with the option to lease your home back to you for 12 months until you can find a new home in the Tucson market. If you'd like to see what that cash offer might look like with no obligation, go to Tucson Cash Offer. In 1994, the University of Arizona took the bold step of acquiring an industrial park in southeastern Pima County and transforming it into a university research park. With over 25 years of success, Tech Parks Arizona continues to advance innovation. Whether it's the nearly 60 startups at the University of Arizona Center for Innovation or the new Tech Park at the Bridges currently under construction, they are integral in shaping the future of Southern Arizona. Tech Parks Arizona, moving innovation at the speed of business. Zach Yenser here, host of Tipping Point, and I want to tell you that Decibel Coffee Works is the coffee we drink at home and while we're out and about. Run by a great local team of people who care about the Tucson community, you'll find a variety of great coffee drinks, beans, pastries, and more. There's also a rumor ice cream is on its way in 2022. To see their full menu and varieties of roasted beans from around the world, visit DecibelCoffeeWorks.com and visit them at 267 South Avenida del Convento. Mention you heard about them on Tipping Point with Zach Yenser for 10% off your next order on anything you buy. We have exciting news to share here at Impact of Southern Arizona. We have expanded our food bank into a grocery shopping style experience where over 500 families a month come in for food, clothing, and support. Now, Impact needs you. Can you or your business put on a food drive for food and hygiene items that others would normally go without? Learn more and contact us at www.impactsoaz.org. 
Zach Yenzo here, and I'm so excited to be a part of the launch of the Little Love Burger as they're growing in Tucson, located just a few hours down from the Rialto Theater. Little Love Burger serves up the juiciest scratch-made hamburgers, loaded hot dogs, have ice cream milkshakes, lovable local brews, and the most addictive breakfast sandwiches. Little Love Burger is open Sunday through Thursday, 11 to 9, and Friday and Saturday, 11 to 10. You can follow their beat on Instagram and Facebook at Little Love Burger Tucson. Don't you want some burger to love? The economy is moving forward, and Arizona businesses are looking at new opportunities and challenges as we emerge from COVID-19. Leading companies are planning how to respond to new business and rebuild their teams and are looking for critical talent now. The right talent in key positions will make all the difference, and having a trusted and dedicated talent acquisition partner will give you an edge. Devin and her team at Talent Store will connect you with top talent while positively impacting time to hire, retention, and your employer brand. Learn more by visiting yourtalentstore.com and schedule time with Devin and her team. This is Bill Buckmaster coming up at noon, the Buckmaster Show on 1030, Tucson's voice for trusted news talk. And we're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona with Greg Ayers in studio, the president and founder of Gap Ministries. Uh, the ribbon cutting for the Campus of Hope a couple weeks ago uh, was what uh, 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 where we got to see each other in person for a while after a couple of years, and we thought, why don't we have a conversation on the air about this? We talked about what Gat Ministries has been doing for the last 22 years, uh, the foster care and, and those who uh, are in need of people to stand in the gap, uh, those needs you've been meeting, what those have been. Uh, but we are highlighting also what the future looks like, and there's a bit of a shift in what Gat Ministries uh, is doing and will continue to do. Uh, I got to tour the Campus of Hope. Um, you were actually kind enough in the business of the day to, uh, to walk my dad and I and a couple of others around yourself, which was really cool, and to get to see just what has already happened there and what mm-hmm. the vision is. And uh, every time the, the ministry and the work grows, the footprint does as well, and it's been amazing to watch it over the last 10 or so years that I think we've known each other. So what is the Campus of Hope, and uh, what is new and unique about it, and what are some of the things you hope will happen there? So what has been incredible is uh, uh, over the last, uh, actually it's been about a two-and-a-half-year two journey to actually acquire this piece of property. It is uh, in the 05 uh, zip code, which is the, the zip code that we feel as an organization we're supposed to be planted in. Mm. Uh, it is, uh, I was talking to the DCS director who actually came to uh, the open house as well, and he indicated that uh, from all the zip codes uh, throughout Pima County and in his understanding even throughout Arizona, that is uh, one of the most problemat- problematic zip codes that our state has. Mm. And so to be planted within that zip code, I think, is very, very important. What the Campus of Hope has done is it shifts us from being a renter. So for the last 10 years, we have rented space, Mm. and we've given those finances to uh, a leaseholder, and uh, it costs us more than what ownership would cost us. And this has given us an ability to actually now own the campus, uh, which is – two very, very important things that it brings. Ownership is just great in its in and of itself that we own versus renting or leasing. But the two things that are so important is that it decreases GAP's a monthly financial um, um, 
nut, so to speak, on what it costs to house the organization and the programs that we have, it decreases it by over 50%. So those funds can go right back into the community to serve our community. So just from a stewardship and nonprofit standpoint, it makes sense that uh, the organization owns its own property. But on the, the probably most important thing is it allows us to tailor uh, to our community what our responses are. When we leased, we had to, if we had an idea of ministry uh, or program to our community, we had to get the buy-in of the landlord that we could actually do that. And there were some things we were not allowed to do uh, on the campus, uh, the previous campus, because we did not own that. Now with ownership, we're going to be allowed to tailor our our response to the community how we see fit because we don't have this third party dictating the use of the facility. And what it also does, the third thing, which is um, just as important, I guess, is the fact it allows us to expand what we currently do. So uh, the campus lays out in such a way that all of our programs that are not in residential homes actually have an ability to expand their reach Mm -hmm. and expand their capacity. So our commercial kitchen will be able to feed more children. Uh, Our training programs will be more in-depth. We'll be able to offer more and different variety of training programs. Our warehouse will be more tailored to for the individual to shop as well as the uh, community partners to shop. Our foster care and kinship programs will be able to have a uh, a more in-depth response to the needs that we see there. and administratively in the community space for community partners to come and use space, uh, uh, conference room space, and so forth is so important within the uh, nonprofit world because there just isn't a lot of that space for them. We'll be able to have space for the nonprofits that partner with us, just nonprofits of our city, to actually have space to fulfill uh, the things that they need to do in their mission. So there's a real holistic approach to the Campus of Hope. Obviously, I love the name Campus of Hope because uh, uh, through COVID, that term hope has just skyrocketed in the hearts and minds of people because COVID it stole hope. Uh, I looked at COVID as not just that it stole our health, it mm-hmm. stole the hope of people. And people were hopeless during much of that season. And uh, as particularly as a believer, we believe that hope is vital to the life of every person. And without it, uh, it makes the heart uh, grow sick and it makes the life sick. And so we're, we love the name because we really believe that it's going to bring hope not only to the 05, but throughout all of Southern Arizona and Tucson. That's amazing. You, you mentioned a number that I was going to ask about, but this is a kind of a one-stop site that allows for job training, that allows for uh, food resources, allows for training for foster care and kinship. There's, you know, a basketball court. Um, there's, there's so much. What is the what is the physical size footprint of the new Campus of Hope? So the new campus has about five acres on four different building uh uh, sections. So there, there's a, a training building uh, that will house all of our culinary and all of our second chance. Uh, I don't really like that term because it's labeling somebody, but all of our educational piece. So we'll have a whole facility for those that are uh, just trying to shift. Uh, maybe they're underemployed or not employed, and they'll be able to shift their careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a whole training facility for that that's expanded just completely. Um, 
and uh, our foster care will now have a, its own place. It's not going to be sharing space with mm-hmm. the admin mm-hmm. uh, or the other programs like it is currently. Right, yeah. it, there's safety uh, for our children. They'll have their own playgrounds. They'll have their own basketball. Uh, it's completely fenced off, completely safe. Uh, it, it's just a perfect, uh, and it even looks like a house. So here, here's this corporate space, warehouse space, but where they're going to be and where children are going to be, it looks like they're walking into a home. And I just think that's a, kind of a neat perspective that we were gifted in this property, that when we focus on children to restore the, the power of home, and the fa- power of family that we're placing it in a place that doesn't look like an office building, mm-hmm. but looks like home, and just reinforcing what that means in the life of a child and the lives of the families. Uh, and then our warehouse space is just significantly uh, more uh, efficient. Uh, it's not necessarily any bigger than our current warehouse, but you saw it is just set up so much more practical mm-hmm. for the for the shopping of those individuals that come and need to be served, as well as the agencies that need to be served. And so every aspect about this property and its buildings, there's about sixty to 70,000 square feet of facility space on uh, the five acres, and then there's a plenty of room to grow. Uh, uh, commun- we believe that there's going to be a community center at some point, uh, to reach out uh, to after-school programs and uh, just more community-focused based uh, outreach uh, and um, more job training. Uh, we really believe there's probably going to be six, seven, eight, maybe nine streams of training uh, that will end up being uh, uh, on the campus. Wow. So it actually serves people to actually change that trajectory of life and give them a sustainable uh, if they graduate, uh, give them a sustainable career uh, that actually uh, changes the trajectory, mm-hmm. the poverty trajectory in their life. So there's just so many opportunities the Campus of Hope brings. That's so cool. Uh, and we're excited about it. Uh, in about maybe a minute, minute and a half, Greg, you mentioned there's some shift in GAT Ministries. What's, what's the big, hairy, audacious goal that comes next? One or two minutes. That's a tough one because I, I, I'm also a pastor, so I talk a long time. So, But um, I think the real shift that we're going to see as an organization is how do we continue to build relationship with the people that we, continue, that we continually serve? So it's not about just handing them uh, some food or, or product they need or facilitating an in-home service or visitation or training, but how do we walk with them, partnering with the community so they feel supported as life issues hit them after they're done with our help because that's that's what we see in the the cycles of people's lives they get help they maybe get set on the right path but then another wham hits them and uh, all of a sudden they're thrown for a loop as a family and there's no support system around them so our real heart and goal of um, moving forward is how do we put the support systems in place? Not that Gap Ministry has all the answers, but we partner with those uh, people within our community to bring those systems around people so they truly, truly can be successful when issues of life hit them uh, months uh, or years down the road after they've graduated through our programs. And I think that is very, very important as we move forward. That's very cool. Uh, Greg, it, it was really great to visit the Campus of Hope. It was on the heels of a visit to the Center of Opportunity, mm-hmm. um, uh, also on the kind amazing of place. Amazing place. And it was just 
uh, it was um, it gave me a lot of hope and not no pun intended to this conversation to see especially uh, nonprofits with faith based nonprofits in a big way tackle big issues. Uh, final thing with less than a minute to go, where can people go to support your work, Greg? Actually go to gapmen.com. You can volunteer, you can give, um, you can, uh, we always have open positions. If you go to gapmen, G-A-P-M-I-N.com, you'll see the broadness of what Gap does and you can get involved in any level that you want to get involved in. We welcome you to come on board. Come take a tour. I'd be mm-hmm. happy to give you one myself. We're at 2025 West Highway Drive and the campus isn't done, so you'll get to see vision, but we would love for you to come and participate and catch the vision that I love it. we have for the city of Tucson. Greg, thanks for your time this morning, and thanks, uh, hopefully we'll see you uh, in less of a time than two years. Absolutely. <laughs> this has been amazing. Love it. Tucson, that's it for us.